0: I want to make one thing very clear. We want Shane here. I want Shane to stay. I don't think it's selfish or manipulative to say that in public because I've said it to him privately. See, it's important to me personally, it's important to us as a team, not to get in the way of what God may be calling our brother to pursue. See, if that's where this all leads, I want us as a church to send their family in a very specific way. I want us to send their family out joyfully. I mean, that's a weird place to be, right? We want you to stay. We want to rejoice in your going. That's a weird place to be. That's not natural. But here we are together. Here we are together as a church. Shane's been nothing but honest with us thus, with us this far in terms of what he's thinking and praying through. We've been able to be nothing but honest with him. We want to make those the easy conversations that we have with one another. We want we want to make these the easy conversations that we bring you into as a church. We've experienced grace, I believe, through those conversations. So again today, we're not announcing announcing Shane's departure. We're calling the church to prayer. As Shane explores this opportunity, as, as Gulf Coast Brandon explores if Shane is the right guy for their needs moving forward, we pray as he explores the sense of calling that God has on his life. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a lot already, and we haven't even gotten to the passage. So I'm just thinking of the best way to transition, I thought, Old Testament apocalyptic prophecy is probably going to be like the best passage to speak to our hearts (laughs) after hearing something like that. Well, thankfully, Daniel 7 provides us just that. It gives us a way to transition out of that. But before we read our passage today in its entirety, that's Daniel 7. Before we read the passage today in its entirety, I think that's a helpful way for us to do so before I just work through a few things for us as a church to draw from it. I think it's Helpful to kind of set the stage. Uh, I know it's been a few weeks. We had a a few guest speakers. We had Shane actually preach uh, from Daniel chapter 5. We had uh, a couple of guest speakers with uh, Grace Partnership that were in there. Uh, Wonderful, just wonderful men of God sharing the word with us. I'm so grateful for that. And then last week we had Mike Gilland uh, bring us into Daniel chapter 6. But there's a bit of a style change that's happening here in Daniel chapter 7. We're kind of going from narrative accounts of things that happened in the life of Daniel and his ways of service in Babylon, even how he got there in the first place. But we're kind of moving into visions and we're moving into dreams that include apocalyptic prophecy. And what I mean by that is, that what does it look like at, at the end times? Now, you may think like, wow, this is getting ready to get very heavy I actually, I think this, this word is for us. It, it's, it's to serve us and to equip us and even give us filters for how it is that we should view the world around us. So I think it's actually something very practical for us today. But chapter 7 is a bit of a hinge into the second part of the book of Daniel. It's it, it understood best that Daniel is kind of two parts. There's 1 through 6 and then there's 7 through 12 that stand as two separate parts of the book of Daniel. There's a language change that's that's coming in the days ahead. So the book of Daniel is written in two different languages in their original language. There's the Hebrew language, and that kind of bookends Aramaic in the middle of the book. And I think it's helpful to understand this is one of the last passages written in Aramaic. And what does that help us understand? Well, how broadly the audience was intended to understand the message. So this is certainly a message for us in the church, but it's also kind of this worldwide proclamation of the sovereignty of God, and we'll see that in just a moment. There's a chronology change. So Daniel will reference specific moments in history. As a matter of fact, our passage starts today in the first year of Belshazzar. And so we realize that there are these connections to our own time and space, our own history. So it's not just a fairy tale. It's not something that's just there like, this is a good idea and this is when I thought of it. This is actually something that is happening in real time, but there is a bit of a chronology change. Uh, So up to this point, it's kind of been stacking and leading through the different aspects of uh, Babylonian captivity for Daniel, even as he was serving in the king's court. And we're going to kind of go back in time and bounce around a little bit. So this week, we're in the first year of uh, Belshazzar. Next, year, next week is like two years after this original vision. So we're not as much connected to a specific timeline, but Daniel does land in point in history. Why do I mention that? Well, I think it's helpful for us to realize that we're kind of moving out of this historical narrative where we're supposed to understand it against a real timeline, but we're beginning to build something about the kingdom of God, which has been a theme throughout the book of Daniel up to this point already. And I think that's a great way for us to lead over the next three or four weeks as we lead up to Palm Sunday together. That's April 10th. As we begin to enter into Holy Week, because what what happens on Palm Sunday? Well, we have a sermon on Jesus' triumphant entry. And here we see kind of the the culmination of the kingdom of God in the most unexpected of ways. We're gonna see that already. There's some vivid imagery in here about the kingdom of God and its victory over the world. But I think that's a beautiful way for us to lead up to Palm Sunday and Holy Week. See, we're we're seeing this picture come into sharp focus. And we're starting to see these multiple vignettes of the kingdom of God come into focus. To where we start to understand how, how broad and how rich the kingdom of God, how powerful and how sovereign and majestic the kingdom of God is. But it's not just something that's far off, like it just sits in the heavens, like a, like a castle on a cloud. No, it's intended to be a part that it invades our heart. And it displaces the things of the world. It, it renews and transforms our mind. The kingdom of God is very active. It's not just austere and kind of off in this distant place. I mean, picture is a good way. These vignettes is a good way for us to think about the passages through the end of the book of Daniel. They're vivid. They're illustrative. These words are going to paint a mental picture that might actually give you nightmares. Here's a recommendation. If you're up for it, Google images about Daniel 7. And if you're not, don't. Because it's vivid. Like, I saw a picture and I was like, I wonder if there'd be any helpful ways to illustrate this. And I had a nightmare. So, like, if you're like me and don't like zombies, don't do that. Right? I mean, so I'm just warning you, there's some vivid imagery, and we're going to see that in just a moment. Like, I've never thought about a little horn in such a disturbing way. So have fun with that. Not right now, maybe later, during next steps for Eric Chin, our deacon. See, I'm glad that Daniel actually captured what he saw as, as vivid and as, as wild as it seems to my mind today as the imagery is. I'm grateful that Daniel captured these things because what they help us do is think deeply about what can be very difficult truths. So, so why give time to difficult truths? Why take the time to grasp some of the difficult things that we, we will see in these texts? And I don't just mean difficult imagery to understand. I mean difficult truths about the sovereignty of God and His holiness and His wrath even the way that he is sovereign over his creation and over time and history. See, I think that there's a benefit to looking at these difficult truths. I believe here's, what's ha- here's what happens. We can understand suffering better in light of eternity when we look at difficult truths like this. We can receive comfort in the midst of turmoil and trials. It means that we have these, these uh, truths to give us comfort when we're walking through trial. When we're walking through days that we don't understand, we, when we are facing turmoil in our, fam, in our family, in our relationships, in our workplaces, we can receive comfort in the midst of that. We even have a biblical filter to understand the news of the day, whatever it is and however pervasive it is, even if it's just knocking on our door. We don't have to outsource punditry trying to help us understand the news of the day god equips us for that in his word he equips us for that so with these things in mind looking at daniel chapter 7 verse 1 let's read together in the first year of belshazzar king of babylon daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had great iron teeth. It devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things." The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked in because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. My spirit within me was anxious. The visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and I asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall rise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from the rest. Exceedingly terrifying. With its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell. And the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. And as I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. At the, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. It shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise. And another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down the three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominion shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. And my color changed. But I kept the matter in my heart. Father God, we ask for your help in understanding your word today. Help us to focus on the things that will allow us to be more closely united with Christ and to live for you and your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do we process this? I'm tempted just to have the worship team come back out. But we're not going to give into that one. How do we process this? I think Alistair Begg has a, a great quote. He says this, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. So that's where we're going to spend our time together today. It can be very interesting to get into things like trying to figure out who the, the ten horns are. But I'm not sure that that's the main thing of this passage for us today. See, Daniel 7 presents us a picture of the sovereignty of God. And we actually see this most plainly in the first eight verses. And so we're just going to kind of work our way through this passage today as we seek to learn what I believe what God has for us. You may already realize this. Biblical prophecy can be difficult to understand. Daniel himself acknowledges, this is difficult to understand. I'm just going to keep this one in my heart. I'm I'm just going to capture this But but I'm going to keep this one kind of close to the vest. It actually disturbed him so much, it seems that throughout the passage, he is kind of wrestling. For me personally, this might be known as a fever dream. This might be known as one of those dreams where you just kind of never quite fall asleep, you're never quite awake. And he seems to be just stirred and bothered throughout this night of sleep. It must have been a restless night. It must have been a rough next day. But he took the time to capture this for us. God includes it in his word for us so that we would be equipped to stand, that we would be built up in the kingdom of God, that we would be unified together as a church, that we would be brought to a place of maturity. And so today, we don't shrink back from the difficult things. We look at them so that we might grow. But Daniel 7 is not just speaking to the culture of the day. Remember, I said this is one of the passages that's captured in Aramaic. He's actually trying to speak beyond even his day, beyond the the realm of the kingdom that he was a part of giving service to. He was speaking to all peoples for all time, and so he's speaking to us today. But he's speaking about the sovereignty of God, and you may think, like, okay, I hear you say that in the point, but where do you see that in the passage? Well, let's make sure that we're working from... A similar definition of the sovereignty of God. I think this one from John Frame is helpful for today. The sovereignty of God is the same as the lordship of God. For God is the sovereign over all creation. The major components of God's lordship or his reign are his control, authority, and covenantal presence. His control, his authority, and covenantal presence. See, the opening eight verses of Daniel 7 is where we most clearly see some connections to other parts of Daniel. This passage actually connects back to one of the accounts in Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2. And you may think, well, how does that, how does that connect? Well, that's, Daniel chapter 2 is where Nebuchadnezzar dreamed of successive world empires. So in the midst of this dream, he saw this great statue. It had a head of gold. It had shoulders of silver, a belly of bronze, legs of iron. And then a rock representing the coming messianic king came and struck the statue's feet of iron and clay, causing the entire statue to crumble. And in Daniel 7, Daniel sees these four beasts rise up out of a churning sea. And and traditionally, those four beasts would have been understood to represent These kingdoms, the Babylonian, Medo Persian, Greek, and Roman kingdoms or empires. But before we get lost trying to figure out the imagery and symbology, maybe even the numerology that we see here, even the historical connection, before we get lost in those details, let's understand that Daniel's vision is captured to reassure us of something. It's to reassure us that God knows all that will occur. He knows everything, and he has not lost control over any of it. That's why he's writing this passage to help us understand that God is in control. He knows what's going on, and he has not lost any control over it. God's sovereign will rules over all kingdoms, leaders, and events with authority and divine wisdom. Let's think about it this way. We know that God is sovereign in revelation. Now, why do I say that? Well, verse Chapter 7, verse 1 actually captures that for us. God reveals what he chooses to show us. Daniel says, in the night I saw this vision. It was at this time. God is sovereign in his revelation. But he only reveals what he chooses to show us. God is sovereign over creation. He's sovereign over creation that it is created as good and he created all things out of nothing by his very word speaking it into being. God is sovereign in rulers rising and falling. Here in Daniel 7, we have multiple kingdoms represented, kind of cycling through them, and they're correlating beastly symbols through history. Not only that, God is sovereign in his salvation. God chooses whom it is that he saves. Now, when we speak of God as sovereign, we're not talking about one who is distant or one who is inept at the different things that are going on. We are speaking of the king above all earthly kings. I was watching a documentary yesterday, I know, it's shocking. It was about Queen Elizabeth at war. And in the midst of that, they were recounting the story of when it was that her dad realized that he was going to be King. And the realization of the responsibility that was heading her direction at his death, the the account was that she actually began to pray for a baby brother. I thought that was very interesting because, uh, from my perspective, limited in the 44 years of my life, I don't think that she's been a monarch that somebody's like, she needs to get out of here. She seems to be a good ruler. But there was something in that moment when the realization of that, the weight of ruling a people fell to her she began to actually pray because she knew that there was only one way that it was that that crown the weight of that crown would not fall to her head as if she had a baby brother and that baby brother based on the the rule of law in England meant that he would be the one who would inherit the throne so oftentimes we think about I wish I was the ruler because of this and and here she is I think it was nine years old when this happened Here she is in the midst of this moment and what is her first thing to do to pray that there would be another that would be able to take that place? Let's make sure that we have a right understanding not only of the sovereignty of God but the weight of everything that falls to him and he can handle it all. He's not praying for another. He's not looking for a way out for us. He provides a way of rescue for us but it's not like that was plan B. He transcends All earthly lords. His titles can't be stripped from him because they are the very essence of who he is. His authority can't be surpassed by other leaders who might be better than him, other rulers who might be stronger than him, any weapons, any successes, or any failures here on earth because it's who he is. And Daniel is acknowledging as much in verse 2 when he says that the, what he initially saw were the four winds of heaven. Now, these four winds might represent something like four compass points. But what it's talking about is the winds that are coming from all around the earth, stirring up the great sea. And that's symbolic of chaos and rebellion against God. What does that help us understand? It helps us understand that the created nature is still under the rule of God. This is where it helps us to interpret the things that are going on. This is why I say we don't have to outsource our understanding of even catastrophic weather events. We don't have to outsource that to punditry or quote-unquote prophets of the day. God has not lost control and nature is still under his rule. We're reminded that God is the one who sets up and brings down the authorities. And he sovereignly is in control of history. So he is worthy of our praise. And even as we were just singing in worship, he is worthy of our trust as we live in the midst of it. He is worthy of our trust even as we live in the midst of it. How much are we seeing that with our brothers and sisters in Ukraine these days? How much are we even beginning to hear the stories coming out of our brothers and sisters in Russia today as well? He's worthy of our praise and our trust. So how does Daniel 7 describe the sovereign one? As we look on to verses 9 through 14, he is the ancient of days and the son of man. So we remember that Daniel 7 really covers all of human history from Daniel's day through the ultimate triumph of God's kingdom for eternity. He's kind of looking forward. We, we looked just a moment ago and saw that there is this connection to creation. And so this really encompasses all of time. It's not just Daniel's time moving forward. Daniel actually is acknowledging from the beginning. The origin of these things is his sovereign will. And God is sovereign because he is eternal and pure. He's he's, he's a big God, bigger than even Daniel realized, and bigger than these petty, beastly kingdoms of the world. Think about the the descriptions that we see beginning in verse 9. It talks about God being, his clothing being white as snow. What is that talking about? It's talking about his purity. It's talking about his, his holiness. It's talking about his righteousness. The hair of his head was like the whitest of wool. It, it speaks to one who is eternal. His purity, his wisdom. He has always existed. He is the one who is wise beyond any comparison here on earth. His throne was flaming fire. You know, fire is described in two different ways in scriptures. Primarily in two different ways. It speaks of either purifying or judgment. And his throne is made up of it entirely. His throne was flaming fire. Purifying and righteous judgment. Its wheels were blazing fire. That tells us that there are no limitations. There's no restrictions on his judgment based on space or time. He sees everything. He is everywhere present. And this river of fire was flowing. This river of fire kind of came out before it. And it conveys the righteous fury and wrath of his judgment. You may think, now now you're getting to the scary part. I said it's difficult truths to wrestle with. But Psalm 97.3 says this, that fire goes before him and burns up his foes on every side. See, Scripture interprets itself and it helps us understand these difficult truths so that we might receive comfort. And we will get to that part. But let's not look away from the difficult truths. Thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Kind of sounds like Revelation 5.11, doesn't it? Where the angel, our reference there, and the sea of people are just coming around him from every nation and tribe and tongue and worshiping at his throne. David Jeremiah references Daniel and Revelation together as God's intelligence manuals sent to inform us today of the future that's to come. It offers us hope as we await the second coming of Christ. What else do we see? In verses 11 through 12 we see that God is sovereign with his punishment but he is also sovereign with his patience toward his people. So before the Awesome and imposing king, court is called into session. Court is called into session. And we see this where he says, and the book is opened. The court is gathered and the book is opened. And the ancient of days does everything by the book. He does everything by the book. His judgment, as it always has been, as it always will be, is fair. Equitable. There's no partiality. There's nothing that you and I can do to add or take away. There's no unfairness represented there. This is true for the judgment of everyone, but it begins with the beast. And you know, I think this is actually a a concept that is much more ingrained in us than we realize. Earlier this week on Monday, uh, we went, my boys and I went to finish out a car deal. We've had to kind of be shuffling some vehicles around and in the midst of that, one of them had saved up so that we could buy a vehicle for him. Not a new vehicle, but new to us, right? And so we're doing this car deal, and in the midst of that, we, we met someone new that we were kind of working with on this. And you ever have that kind of working relationship where you're like, this just clicks. Like, man, this is, praise God. Because you have no idea when you answer like a Facebook marketplace ad, you know, who's on the other end of that, right? You might be dealing with like all the collective crazy of the world embodied in one person. Praise God that wasn't our experience. And we were kind of talking about, like, I was thanking him. Thank you for not being a kind of a shyster in the midst of an industry known for shysters, right? Used car industry. That's, that's not exactly what any mother says when my baby grows up, right? Like, that's not exactly what people are aspiring to. And that's, that's because so often you bump into people that are just trying to turn a deal or more likely turn a trick and pull the wool over your eyes. We all had that experience, or we know those stories, right? That was, praise God, not our experience on Monday. And I was just thanking him for that, and he said, you know, I face it every day. You wouldn't believe what I face every day. He made this comment, he just says, I know there's a day coming where they'll get theirs. But that's what Daniel's talking about here. That's what Daniel's talking about here. It's, in, it's ingrained in us. So there are opportunities, even in the midst of the world, where they have these glimpses into eternity that we can actually share as a witness. You know what? There is a day coming. But not just for the shysters of the used car industry. For me and for you. How will you be able to stand? I think it's ingrained in us more than we realize. But it starts with the beast being struck down. God is also sovereign, not only in the area of his punishment and patience, not only in the area of uh, his eternality, his purity, what we, what we kind of collectively call his holiness. God is sovereign in the man that he has chosen and the way that it is that he will save his people. God is sovereign in that. We see this really in what I believe are the key verses of Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. Then I heard the Holy One speaking, and and another Holy One said to the one who spoke, for how, oh, excuse me, I'm in Daniel 8. Why don't I read the right one? I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. I think Sinclair Ferguson helps us to understand who the Son of Man is when he says this, the expression, Son of Man, appears to be the virtual equivalent of man, but when one like the Son of Man appears, the title has particular rather than general significance. I'm sorry I can't say it in the Scottish accent like he does. This is the true man, in contrast to the man become beast in the earlier elements of the vision. This is the one who is able to stand in the presence of the God whose throne is made of the fire of his judgment. This is the one who is worthy to receive dominion and glory in a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him, his dominion being an everlasting dominion as we see in verse 14. This part is key for us today. This true man is all that humans as God image were meant to be, but failed to be. All of us were meant to be, but through Adam, failed to be. See, this helps us to understand as we see the sovereign connection to creation, the sovereign connection to eternity, but how this shapes us even today. Now, why would I say it that way? Because as we receive the good news of the gospel, as our lives reflect the transformative effects of that good news, we find our greatest value and identity not in this world, but in being a part of the kingdom of God. Where do you find your value and identity today? Is it in being a part of the kingdom of God? Has, has the good news of the gospel rescued you from this world? Is the good news of the gospel transforming you more and more into the image of the Son? Then may I suggest that you stop finding your value and your worth in the temporary things of the world. Find your greatest identity in being a child of the kingdom of God. Because it's only through this one, the Ancient of Days, Can be approached through the Son of Man. So, how do we respond to God's sovereignty? I believe that verses 15 through 28 tell us that we respond to the sovereignty of God by awaiting the kingdom of God. When Daniel received the vision recorded in chapter 7, he was alarmed. He was terrified in the details that it contained. We actually read that a couple of different times. Next week, this week, it says he kind of lost color, right? I think about that like somebody that's seen a ghost, right? You look like you've seen a ghost. You kind of just turned white as snow, right? And You lost your color. Next week it actually says that he laid in bed sick for several days. That's kind of comforting to me. It is. It's kind of comforting to me. See, I can a lot of times be alarmed by the details, details that I read or that I see here in, the, in this world. But Daniel interacted with the otherworldly and he too was troubled by that yes he's provided a solution in the midst of it maybe he didn't fully understand it but this is where I can identify with Daniel but I'm not called to be Daniel this is where I'm not looking to Daniel to be my hope and my salvation but I'm comforted by the fact that when he interacts with the holy one that there's something kind of troubling about that I mean think about it for just a minute This vision kind of captures for us the culmination of the conflict between the forces of evil and the kingdom of God. That can be disturbing. The people of God will endure intense opposition. He's hearing this as a man who is in captivity to Babylon. Don't forget, just because of his position, he was enslaved. He was a part of a conquered people. He was bound by something on this earth. So he's being told that the people of God will endure intense opposition. But we can be assured today, you and I can be assured today, that Christ the King has conquered. We can be assured that His kingdom will be ours forever and ever. Now, how do we make this practical for us day in and day out? Sometimes even a vision of the greatness and the glory of God In the midst of that moment, can feel like it's not enough to overcome our anxieties or our fears. I'm gonna slow down here because I don't want to be misunderstood and please ask questions if I miscommunicate anything in this part, but I want to be clear here. We need to have a vision of the glory and holiness of God. But there are times that in our own minds, the things that we're facing, the anxieties or the fears that we're facing, maybe even the depression that we are walking through can feel bigger than the glory and the holy and majesty of God. On paper, theologically, we know that it's not. But it can feel that way. How is it that we walk through that then? Well, I think you keep looking. Daniel kept looking. Even in the midst of being troubled at the things that he was seeing, Daniel kept looking. I looked, I saw, behold, this was what was going on, and it troubled me, and I was stirring because of this. This is, what, this is the language that we actually just read all throughout this passage. But keep looking, I think, is a part of that. I also think about this. Think about Hebrews where it tells us, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. So even in the midst of my doubts, even in the midst of my fears, my anxiousness, my being just weighed down by the things of the world, I can keep looking, and I can look specifically to the one. So let, me, let me make it practical for you. This week, I was, I was in the hospital visiting a family, uh, and <clears throat> just after their baby was born, he was taken into NICU. All was well. All looks like it's going to be well. But the dad was telling me what it's been like to trust God through this. And I thought, this sounds so familiar because there were things that, that I walked through with, with one of our children, our firstborn Caleb, when he, when he was 11 months old. And I thought, that's not the same. I mean, th- this kid was just born. And so I'm 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 trying to just find this moment where I can just try to care. I I care. It weighs on me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying try to care for them. Like have some expression of care for them. And I realized, you know, we'll often walk through similar things, but it's not the same. My thought was, gosh, even with what we walked through with Caleb, he had we had dedicated him, and that felt like a real test of that dedication. And I just was acknowledging to this new dad, I was, hey. I remember this feeling. I remember this feeling of helplessness. I remember this feeling of like, I am not in control. Do you hear it already? But God is. But how do I help him see that? We have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. I don't ever want somebody in the hospital looking to me and what I've experienced. I want everybody in the hospital to be looking to him who is able to sympathize in our weakness and our moment of need. I think that's how we bring these things together. I think that's how we personalize it. We don't try to put ourselves in the midst of it to be the answer. We don't try to think about those rituals and wonderful things that we celebrate even together here in the church when we're having a baby dedication, but it feels like two days into his son's life, he's already being tested with, do you trust me? And the good news is, through Jesus Christ, we can trust him. We can put our hope Him, Because Jesus is able to sympathize and minister to that family completely. Praise God, because all of us are going to need that in the days ahead. And Scripture equips us for that. It prepares us for those moments in life. See, God's people will one day receive an eternal kingdom that will last forever. Verses 7 through 50, or excuse me, 15 through 18 show us. And we will suffer in an earthly kingdom as we wait for an eternal kingdom. But praise God that suffering that we face here on this earth will last only a short time. That helps us be prepared for the days ahead. But there's a victory that verses 27 and twenty-eight point two that stand in contrast to verses 23. And 26 as we close out our passage today. I want to just read these words again. But the court shall sit in judgment. And his dominion shall be taken away. That is the beast's dominion will be taken away. To be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. Oh, sweet victory in Jesus. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. There is a victory that is coming when God's people are given this universal kingdom that will last forever and have no end. And we realize the victory that you and I can have today in Jesus Christ. We can experience that victory today, even as we wait for that coming kingdom. So our peace, no matter what comes here on this earth, comes from knowing that there is an ultimate victory. It goes beyond a used car deal. There's an ultimate victory to come through our Savior. This leads to our eternal rule with Him. Second Timothy 2, 11-13 tells us this, This saying is trustworthy for if we have died with Him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now you may have realized it by now, but Jesus is front and center in this passage. He's front and center, especially in verses 13 through 14 of Daniel 7. And In my view, these verses I said earlier are the key to today's text and here's where the son of man, this divine human person who receives the universal kingdom from his father. His father, the one who is called the ancient of days. It's where he is revealed to us. Daniel may not have understood in his day, but we can understand this today. And this connects to Revelation chapter 5 and 7. As we, they, they draw language from this vision in Daniel, they remind us that the worship of the son of man is on the way. The worship of the Son of Man on a universal scale is on the way when every nation and tongue and tribe will bow at his feet. Now, who is it that destroys this beast from Daniel chapter 7, 11 that connects to Revelation 13? It's the Son of Man himself in his majestic second coming, as we're told in Revelation 19. But do you know the moment that the death blow was initially struck was when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he said, it is finished. Our victory was known then. We may not realize it fully until eternity, but the moment that the death blow was delivered to that beast that we read about in Daniel chapter 7 is when Jesus cried from the cross, it is finished. That is comforting news today. So what about this beast? What about Satan, the one who works behind him and works through him he may oppress the holy ones of the Most High for a season, as Daniel 7, 25 puts it. But that season will come to an end. Because Jesus has declared that it is finished. Until then, for us today, we can realize that the Son of God became the Son of Man. So that He might not only save us or identify with us but he he might also extend his comfort to us. Charles Spurgeon said it well when he said, as surely as he overcame and triumphed once for you, so surely you that love his name shall triumph in him too. Lord, I pray that your word would comfort our hearts today and lead us to glorify your name through our lives. Stand and worship together.